go into our pantry and take, you know, all these mixes and stuff. And I take them out and I just make concoctions for whatever reason or purpose. Um, I was convinced, I think it in third grade that I could build a robot. So I was in my dad's, you know, garage taking nuts and bolts and, you know, putting them on cardboard and thinking it was going to come to life. So there was definitely some of that for me when I was young. Um, I, I think the biggest thing was for me was always motivated is being told like I couldn't achieve or I couldn't do something. That was always my motivation. Yeah. If you tell me, Hey, yeah, nobody can do that. Yeah. I'll be the one to do it. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Calling all thrill makers, fun creators, and attraction pros. Get ready for the ride of a lifetime at IAPA Expo 2023, the global attractions industry's premier event. Join us in Orlando, November 13th to the 17th for a week of learning, networking, and exploring trends and new technologies. Discover innovative solutions for growth that will supercharge your business and enhance your career. Register by November 10th at iapa.org slash iapaexpo. That's I-A-A-P-A dot org slash I-A-A-P-A-E-X-P-O to save up to 30% and get an additional $10 off with the code APROS. That's A-P-R-O-S. We'll be there, and we hope to see you too. Hey, Josh, how are you? Hey, Matt, I'm doing great. How are you? Well, today I am fantastic. Just today? Well, you know, <laughs> today, tomorrow, the next day. Yes. Any day we record a podcast. Any day we record a podcast. And when I actually have a good question for you. All right. Let's hear it. Have you ever invented anything? Have I ever invented anything? If I think back to my childhood, <laughs> I feel like there were probably a lot of hours spent in the basement that were tinkering and thinking, can I do this? Can I, you know, can I make this happen? I don't think my level of inventions probably got like anything bigger than like cup string. Like I invented a new telephone type <laughs> thing or anything at least like whether literally or like metaphorically similar to that. But I, you know, I, I like to think about like, Hey, what else, what else could be out there? What else? You know, I, I, I sometimes think I, I will say since I became a parent and now I have a child, I always, I look at the things around me and I think like, oh, this is amazing. Wow. Someone must've been really frustrated and then said it can be better. And then I think about the things that I'm frustrated with and I'm like, Hmm, like, could I create a blackout curtain that can go over an airplane seat and it would be like a sky tent and he can have his own secluded space while we're flying and just go to sleep. So nobody steal that. Well, actually, no, that please steal that idea. If you admit that I will buy it. Right. <laughs> They, you've just done the market research for them. You know that the they know that they'll have a customer. Um, interesting, interesting. Well, and that ties in to the conversation that we got to have today with Paul Season, who says 
everything that you're seeing, everything that you look at is someone else's idea on how to solve a problem. The chair you're sitting at, the table you're at, everything. It's it's such a, almost like a, a simple borderline like obvious statement but that's not something we really think about yeah. you know you look at you know the cars driving down the street look at like the pavement that the street is made out of. you know i, I think uh, yeah like the just all of that i mean i'm looking around at obviously you know light bulbs you know we know that that's one of the most significant inventions yeah. in the last you know a couple centuries or so and and just just everything that we see that exists didn't used to exist until someone said, Hey, I can, I can solve that. So, uh, so I'll, I'll ask you, what, what about you? Have you ever invented anything? I don't think I've ever invented anything that wasn't a combination of other things that might've already been real. Does that make sense? So maybe that is tinkering. Maybe that's, you know, a different form of problem solving. Um, you know, as I think about some of the things Paul talked about in terms of invention, like these are things that didn't exist before. Um, yeah. And I think I don't I don't think I'm on that level, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it was so cool to be able to talk to Paul, who, by the way, is the president of L3D FX, uh, which is a, a fabrication company for, you know, for theming, for props, for anything that is that is that is in a physical space, whether it's in immersive experiences like theme parks or whether it's in film and television. And, uh, you know, it was, it was just so fascinating to be able to to talk to him and really learn about the inventive process and learn about how to think like an inventor and like you just said as far as looking around looking looking at all the problems looking at everything as as hey here's here's a problem that was solved what other problems are there out there that you know that we can that we can look at and that we can solve and that we could we could invent the solution whether it's inventing a, a physical thing like like a patent or whether it's a process or whether it's a, a new method of of doing anything I think we can all look around us every single day at, at, all right, what, what could be better and what are we going to do to make it better? Well, and I think the, the mindset is just that, right? What can we do to make this better? And he even says, you know, some of the things that you might see, they're not perfect, right? This might not be the perfect solution for that, but that always means that there's another step that can be taken, that we can, we can do something a little different. And I would say, if you're ever feeling stuck, bookmark this episode because this will give you the inspiration to look at things a little differently in your world and in your life. Yeah. And then not only that, but we get to talk about uh, how he has grown as a leader since, you know, since the formation of L3DFX. And, you know, he went from, from being, I would say, inventor to leader that uh, sometimes those those might take, you know, very, very different skill sets and really needing to kind of grow into that role. But also a lot of that similar type of thinking and that similar type of process of okay, here's here's a problem. Let's work on the solution, and then and then look at the improvement, and then continue to see that growth and continue to to get that feedback and to continue to develop. So I would say, uh, you know, anyone you know listening to this, regardless of of uh, of what level of leadership you're in or, or where you are or what you're doing or what your job is, uh, that there's, you, you can find opportunities to, to grow by, by hearing the way that Paul phrases it. So should we go ahead and get to this, uh, incredible interview with Paul? Let's do it on this podcast here that you and I invented. Hey, Paul, welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. We are so excited to have you on today. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. 
Absolutely. Uh, so to kick this off, um, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Tell us about your background and your career. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I guess kind of going a little ways back, I, um, I'm an Air Force veteran. I actually uh, went to the Air Force right out of, out of high school, um, 18 years old. Actually, the first time I think I ever flew was on my way to basic training. Um, but yeah, at 18, I went to the Air Force. I was a C-130 loadmaster um, out of Pope Air Force Base, which was uh, Fort Bragg, effectively. Did four years there, toured um, all over the world, um, flew some combat missions, um, got out after four years with an honorable uh, discharge, and um, came back home to Illinois. Um, 22, I, I decided to start you know, inventing, I guess. I, I had a quick thought that I would get rich quick, you know, 22, just thought, Hey, I can invent something. Um, when I was getting out of the air force, um, you know, I flying was always my passion. So I thought, you know, what do I want to do next? And, uh, paintball had always been something that I had enjoyed actually when I was a kid, um, for whatever reason or purpose, I thought paintball would be, you know, something I want a career field I wanted to get into. And I actually wanted to look at opening up a paintball park first. So, um, 22 years old, got out of the Air Force, uh, came home and thought, you know what, I'll just invent a glow-in-the-dark paintball for for night play. Saw nobody was doing that and um, start, started experimenting with all different types of, you know, chemical formulas and, and learning as much as I could about the paintball industry. Took a job as a paintball referee. So I went from flying combat missions in the Air Force to getting shot by 10-year-olds um, at a paintball park you know, on the weekends, but just so I could learn everything about the paintball industry. And um you know, went down that path a little ways. Um, and uh, oddly enough, that's that's what led me into to this industry was was actually paintball parks. I, I had been uh, in paintball for quite some time uh, developing new products, um, actually ended up getting, uh, I think, about 19 patents um, related to different projects, um, processes, sorry, and devices. And um, 2017 opted to go full into theming. Um, so, you know, obviously in between there, went to college, um, attended Illinois State University, uh, got my business management degree, um, mostly so that I could um, continue to kind of pursue some of the ideas that I had. Um, college was a little rough. I was on my own, um, you know, from 22 to 26. Um, spent a lot of my time trying to um, promote some of the products that I had come up with in the sport of, for the sport of paintball. Um, and... It was going pretty well for a little while there, um, wrote a business plan, um, raised some private equity, uh, approximately $6 million of private equity on a business plan that I had um, drafted related to a patent I had created. Um, that patent was, um, it was for um, encapsulation of a water-based fill material. So in the paintball industry, um, our sort of alternative energy or fuel was the development that uh, was to replace um, oil-based products um, and animal-based uh, gelatin uh, that make paintballs with a water-based fill material. So if you could invent um, a, a water-based paintball, you effectively could replace petroleum-based um, production processes that were highly expensive. So um, again, yeah, 2022 20, went from inventing glow-in-the-dark paintball to trying to develop and advance that that idea a little bit further. And um thought, you know what, I'll pursue inventing a, a water-based paintball. So um, obviously a lot of engineers laughed at me, thought, yeah, no way. That's a 90-year-old technology. You're not going to replace soft gel encapsulation. Nobody can do that. You know, we've spent decades and years trying to do it. Nobody could could do that in the paintball industry. Um, so I took that as a challenge. Um, 
and uh, you know, at 24 and decided, no, I'm going to do it. I'll figure it out. And um, I did. I managed to invent a water-based and alternative encapsulation process for water-based film materials. Um, applied for a patent, raised the $6 million of private equity around a business plan that I had, and uh, started my own uh, paintball production uh, company called Hydrotech. And uh, we were moving right along. Um, I had to develop an entire production process around this. So I identified all the systems within the process. So uh, injection molding, how to dispense my film material, um, our radio frequency welding, laser cutting to create a paintball. Took some samples, went around the country um, to the top 20 paintball parks, uh, had about $43 million in purchase orders for the first uh, batch coming off. So we were set and poised to kind of launch off and uh, Hydrotech was big news in our industry. So did many a podcast like this, uh, you know, in our, in magazines online, we were super excited about, you know, the product and, and it really revolutionizing the sport of paintball and had a bad business partner. Uh, my patents issued um, and I had a business partner that saw there was a lot of application for the technology in other fields. So um, aerospace um, in, encapsulation of insecticides, herbicides, pharmaceuticals, and so my partner at the time, who I had raised the equity from, wanted to uh, to make a quick turn. He wanted to to uh, use the technology in other areas, but we had the one machine. So we had a disagreement. Um, when you're young and you don't have any money and uh, you have to raise it, you tend to give up control. And so I gave up control and he, uh, he ended up uh, pushing me out and then trying to proceed without me. And unfortunately, it collapsed, it failed. So I found myself trying to reset and restart. And so I um, I had owned a paintball park um, that I had opened. And so I opened up a new paintball park in Lockport, uh, Illinois. Again, went, raised some equity, um, uh, did a private-public uh, partnership um, with the park district um, to develop an 80-acre lot of land that had been abandoned for a long time. And as tradition in paintball, you know, we kind of cleaned up the land, but then we had to create all the obstacles in the bunkers and realized all of the junk and garbage we had just cleaned off the field, I needed to then reorganize and populate the fields with, which seemed really counterproductive, right? I'm going to put all the pallets and barrels and garbage I had just taken off, and now I'm going to use it as an obstacle. So I, it just didn't sit well with me. And so obviously, you know, as I've always done, I figured, you know what, I'll, I'll figure out a way to do this a little bit differently and found a gentleman that was routing EPS foam and using it for the haunted house industry. So I thought, Okay, I you know I got kind of excited about the idea that the prospect that you could make anything out of foam and and that would be a really good way economically to populate a paintball park with themed items and so I called him and said hey can I come see your facility he was in Tennessee at the time and super great yep absolutely come down um, we'll show it to you uh, gave me a tour and at the time he was taking a 3D scanner and effectively scanning small items, taking the digital data, cleaning it up, and then routing EPS foam and hard coding it. So I thought, oh, I can do this. This is easy for me. So having never done it before, um, took some of the money that I had and purchased the equipment. And before you knew it, I had a small uh, 7,000 square foot shop with four people at a pop-up table with CNC equipment and hard coding equipment and buying EPS and saying, okay, I'm in, I'm in the theming business. And that's how legacy 3d effects at the time started that was 10 years ago wow such an interesting story first of all i want to thank you for your service to our country as a as a vet really appreciate that um but i also i want 
want to dig into the patents. I want to dig into this this um, this process that you just told us about. But I also want to go back a little bit because I don't know that you come out of college and say I want to be an inventor. I would think there would be something you know previous in your in your childhood and your in your development that you were probably always tinkering with things. Is that true? Was that always something that you kind of did as a as a young person? Actually, when I was young, I mean, a lot of what I did was um, I liked writing stories. I did a lot of storytelling. Um, but ironically enough, yeah, I loved to, you know, I'd go into our pantry and take, you know, all these mixes and stuff and I'd take them out and I just make concoctions for whatever reason or purpose. Um, I was convinced, I think it, in third grade that I could build a robot. So I was in my dad's, you know, garage taking nuts and bolts and, you know, putting them on cardboard and thinking it was going to come to life. So there was definitely some of that for me when I was young. Um I think the biggest thing was for me was always motivated is being told like I couldn't achieve or I couldn't do something. That was always my motivation. Yeah. If you tell me, Hey, yeah, nobody can do that. Yeah. I'll be the one to do it. <laughs> wow. Love it. Yeah. Uh, so, so Paul, while preparing for this interview, I, I looked through your list of patents and the the descriptions behind it and full disclosure, 99% of it was way over my head, way beyond what, what I'm able to, to comprehend. Um, but it, you know it's it's so fascinating. I'm wondering if we could kind of imp, uh, unpack a little bit, maybe the the process and the the thinking process of what you know how how can we all think like an inventor with that inventive mind? Yeah, that's a boy, that's a deep question. I, you know, at least for me, um, it, it really comes down to basic problem solving or problem recognition, and really being able to hone in and identify what that problem is that you're trying to solve. Um, and then realize that sort of the world around you, everything you see, everything tangible is someone's solution to a problem. Everything, right? How it's put together, cars, you know, chairs, the desk that I'm sitting at, it's someone's idea um, that solves some sort of need or problem. And so if you can, at least in my mind, I, I like to boil it down to what that problem is. And then all solutions are on the table. So finding relevance, um, to solve that problem. Um, so for example, with Hydrotech, um, you know, going all the way back to the, my paintball days, the soft gel gelatin encapsulation process was built around the unique elastomeric properties of gelatin. Um, no other real substance like it. And so, you know, that's why everybody kept saying, well, you can't do anything better because you, you're, you have this process built on this unique characteristic. So my approach was, okay, well, if you can build it around uh, the shell, uh, characteristics, then I can build a process around the fill characteristics. And that's what I did. I developed a thixotropic uh, fill material um, that permitted me to fill one half of a shell, invert it, and weld it to the other half. So it's just looking at the problem in a completely different aspect and just saying, you know, conceptually in my mind, turn it on its head, take it apart, look at it upside down, whatever you need to do to strongly visualize the problem and then pull in solutions to it. And Paul, can you talk to us a little bit about the process of obtaining a patent for something like that? Yeah, I, my process at least always was uh, a poor man's patent. Um, actually, you know, I um, spent some time uh, being homeless when I, my last eight months or so in college, I had opted to take my patent, my money that I had, and I put it towards the patents um, and patent filings. Um so for me, the first step was always a poor man's patent. So I would write up my idea. I'd pull in every reference I could, drawings, whatever it was, package it up, go to the post office, send it to myself, certified mail, um, and at least get a, a a date associated with my invention, right? Um, 
but then always the next step for me was a provisional patent. So drafting, you know, I taught myself in just going into the USPTO uh, office. I pulled patents. I was always doing research and kind of looking at those. And so I taught myself, you know, how the patents were structured. They're all effectively the same, especially on a utility patent. And I would just emulate that and I would start drafting it the same way. Um, you know, again, with in mind um, what my patent was, I would look at what's known as the prior art. So what are the other patents that are out there? How are they relevant to my idea? Um, and then I would uh, draft those draft those patents to kind of my patents to kind of mimic um, the prior art patents. So, mm -hmm. but at that point I'd always hand it over to an attorney. So once I drafted, rough drafted my idea um, in kind of that basic format, had an attorney that I'd send it to, he cleaned it up, uh, looking at the prior art would draft claims uh, associated with my invention and then file with the USPTO for me. And then after that, it's, you know, pretty procedural, you know, it's responding to an examiner's um, comments, usually two to three years later, um, you know, and then kind of working through that process to, to reapply for the, the, uh, the patent, patent itself. So I'd love this, love to kind of bring this now to today and kind of tying it in with everything with L3DFX. And I wonder if you could tell us uh, uh, just more about the company and even starting with what is what does the name mean? Yeah, well, in, uh, initially, um, so when Hydrotech kind of tanked, um, I um, I was I decided, well, you know, I, I had a paintball park in the time. It was 80 acres. It was an old paintball park that I'd reopened. Um, but business was not great. Um, and the intent was behind owning a paintball park was for um, me to sell my products and promote uh, Hydrotech. But I thought, you know what, I've been doing that the last 10 years. So I opened um, the 80 acre paintball park in Lockport and we called it Legacy Paintball and Airsoft Park. Um, and so we had 80 acres, but there was a small portion in the back, about six acres, where we thought, you know, we can build a haunted house there. So we created Legacy Events. And so when I decided, hey, I can do props for paintball, I named it Legacy 3DFX. So, uh, um, but initially, you know, we got away from paintball parks pretty quick. I had a friend, uh, my wife's um, best friend, her husband is in the movie business and he was at the time working on Jurassic World. Um, and he said, hey, this, this new prop foam business that you have, he's like, I think this would be amazing. Uh, he said, um, you know, he called me and said, hey, I have a meeting tomorrow with Frank Marshall. Um, who you may know, uh, I want you to make some foam props and send them to me. So I made up um, a raptor's claw fossil and we made a sign and a couple other things as fast as I could and sent them to him. Um, anyways, bottom line is we, we got into the movie business pretty quick. Frank Marshall loved it. So we started making props for Jurassic World. Uh, but not long after, um, we got a very strongly but very kind letter from a company called Legacy Effects, um, who many people probably know in Hollywood. Um, they do a lot of the special effects that you probably have seen. And they said, can you please not use the name legacy? So I thought, yep, no problem. We will change it. Uh, we'll drop legacy and we'll just go with L3D effects. And they said, perfect. And so we, we stuck with L3D effects. That's awesome. You know, again, kind of preparing for this, uh, this conversation, I was looking through the website and um, it talks about the services that you provide and the number of different places that you provide these. And you mentioned, you know, there's, there's the film version, there's theme parks, there's paintball recreation, you know, and I, I kind of commented, Josh, it's like any place people can go, right? Yeah. Physically, you're going to have probably something there that people may have seen. So 
Is there a difference in the process, whether it's a film prop versus an immersive experience versus a paintball park? I'm just curious, like what that process is all about. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, I would tell you, I think at least at its core, the process is the same. And I think that's what allows us to kind of, you know, go into different industries, whatever the end use is. Um, I mean, effectively, you're just, you're all, you're telling a story visually, no matter what it is, whether it's for TV, whether it's for film, immersive theming, paintball, um, a marketing experience, it's, you're just, you're visualizing um, the story that you're trying to convey. And so the process, I think, as an inventor of taking something from an idea and making it tangible is consistent for me. So at the front end, you know, taking an idea and conceptualizing it and then reducing it into usable digital data that then you can make into pieces and parts and putting those together, the end user, end industry is kind of irrelevant to that process. Um, the audience is important, but that really is an aesthetic feature. So, um, you know, materials and methods and how you fabricate vary. But again, it's all confined within that same sort of uh, fabrication and digital creation process. I'm curious what it's like for you once once you go through that process, whether it's for film and television or whether it's for an, an in-person uh, immersive experience, when you get to see it at the end and when it's when it's complete and when it's done, it, can you talk talk about what what that feels like? What are you looking for and and kind of uh, just just the overall process of seeing that finished product in place and being able to see other people react to it as well? Yeah, I, I would say absolute pride. You know, there's there's no more greater reward. Um, than being able to ideate, to just concept, you know, have a concept in your mind um, and bring it or someone else's idea and bring it forward and actually seeing it in the real world. Um, you know, I tell everybody here, I mean, we have an amazing job. We get to create every day for a living, right? It's, there's, there's such a unique, uh, powerful feeling to that when you see what you've made. Um, it's kind of indescribable, right? It's, it's a, uh, I would say extremely pride, extreme pride, uh, for sure. Um, and I think, you know, the joy, I mean, you know, a lot of what we did, we develop, you know, millions of people see, I mean, you know, whether it's film or at universal or at Disney, um, it, I, to me, that's, that's the ultimate reward. Um, and you're doing it for a really, um, rewarding purpose as well, right? You're entertaining, you're telling a story, you're, you're providing people that, that escapism, which I think is, is, is uh, yeah, I think that's, that's uh, one of the most unique, I think, things that you can do is in terms of a career. Hmm. So Paul, you talked a little bit about your team. Can you describe your, your leadership style or the way that you kind of inspire people to creep, keep creating uh, every day? Yeah. I, um, you know, leadership, I think for me has been an evolving process. I, I think if, you know, in the beginning, I would have told you, you know, 10 years ago, I was probably not a great leader. You know, I knew what I knew and I knew what I wanted to do, but I always um, was a little bit ignorant to what people's perception of me was. Um, that was kind of tough in the beginning, right? I mean, it's really difficult to lead without understanding how people perceive you and your message. And so, you know, in the beginning, I, I, I wasn't the best at that. Uh, my focus was always on mission. It was, what are we making? How do we make it? And everything else was peripheral to that, but that's really ineffective. You know, I, at the end of the day, I started to realize, you know, everybody that plays a role in what we do is critical. Um, everybody's important here that in what we do. Um, I'm no important than anyone else. You know, I play my role. I have my part um, and I contribute to the team, but team is important. And so 
um, you know, understanding that, you know, when I'm looking at people now, I want them, I want them to want to do what we do every day. I want them to, to feel the same feeling I do, which as I described earlier, I want them to feel that pride and, you know, that extreme sense of accomplishment when we build something. Um, so, you know, trying to convey that message and making sure that people are supported, um, I think is another part of the leadership here. Um, you know, I'm, I'm more, you know, we'll tell my team consistently, I'm here to help you. It, you know, my role is effectively to equip you and with whatever resource you need to accomplish the task that I've given you. Um, it's not to direct you, it's not to tell you what to do, um, but it's to put you in the position to um, accomplish the tasks that we have to and to support you in that, that capacity. Thank you for telling us about kind of your, I would say your leadership transformation over the years. And I'm wondering, maybe you can, you can expand on that and talk about maybe some of the ways that you personally have been able to maybe kind of find that feedback and find those opportunities for improvement and then grow for them and then continue to develop as a leader. Yeah. I mean, if, I think the feedback's there, you know, every day, um, you know, at times it's, you know, it's not what you want to hear, you know, over the course of the years. Right. Um, I think sometimes even in message messages that tend to be, you know, even very vitriolic, I mean, there's still underlying uh, importance there and, and being able to take and absorb the information and use it in the most objective way possible. So every day, you know, going home and saying, you know, every day I've been here, I've gone home and said, how did I do today? Did I, did I get a good grade? You know, how can I grade myself? Um, did I react to that situation the way I should? Did I respond the way I should have? Um, did I give that person the support they needed? Did I, um, you know, give them the resources they needed to win to, to for them to win their day? Um, that, that has been, you know, a learning process for me throughout. Um, but, but to me, if you don't go home as a leader every day saying that or asking yourself that and revisiting the day, you know, running it through your mind and saying, what could I have done different? What could I have done better? Um, you know, where are my missed opportunities? How do I make that better tomorrow? Um, that, to me, that's that's leadership. And so now in the in the position of president, I would imagine your role is quite different than someone who is creating and, and inventing on a daily basis. So do you do you miss that part of it? Do you get to kind of dip your toe in the water uh, in in that aspect of the business as well? I do. Uh, absolutely. I actually had a, a really dynamic opportunity a couple of years ago, right before COVID, um, when we were doing um, the Frozen 2 Parade float. And um, we had done a tour down um, down in Orlando at some of the way some other floats were were fabricated. And, you know, we could see how other ice, so to speak, was was being produced. And it was thermoformed plastic, fire-rated plastic. And I thought, oh, my God, this looks like plastic. Um so now we had this immense opportunity challenge, which was also an opportunity, which was to create ice for Frozen 2. And Disney was prepared to kind of proceed with, well, this is the tried and true and how we've done it. Um, thermoform plastic that looks like plastic. That was not good enough for me. So I said, no way. We're going to figure out a different way. And um, I started looking again, kind of go back to my inventing roots and ended up uh, developing a clear cast fire rated urethane um, that looked like ice. And I used that and developed that and invented that. And we ended up having that approved and used it to develop the ice that's on the frozen two parade float now. Um, so yeah, I don't get to do it as much as I'd like. Um, you know, I will tell you, it is a passion for me for sure. I love problem solving. So I, when any 
projects come our way that, you know, Hey, I, I have the opportunity to kind of do something. This is a challenge. And, and I don't mean a challenge from a timeline basis, but sort of an underlying, we have no idea how to get this done. I love those projects. Those are my favorite. Hmm. I've got to imagine that over the years and with all of the different types of projects that you've taken on, that there have probably been some some really maybe unique or maybe maybe obscure circumstances that have turned into really good stories. And I'm wondering if you have any other other great stories that that you like to share just regarding certain experiences with projects that L3 L L3 DFX has taken on. <laughs> yeah. Um gosh, I, I feel like um there's been so many, I, we've done thousands of projects over the last 10 years. Um, I, I think the ones that probably stick out in my mind, I just mentioned frozen two as being, you know, really dynamic that that was, um, a material I think we had developed within just a few weeks. So here we're doing something nobody in the theming industry has ever done. Um, really, I don't know that anybody really had taken on, wanted to take on that challenge. And within a few short weeks, I was able to come up with a formulation for the, for ice. Um, I think, probably some of the other unique experiences we've had are challenging. You know, they always seem to re relate around, um, for whatever reason, L3DFX seems to has, have kind of cut its teeth on scraps from other people's tables. So as a subcontractor to some of the larger theming shops, you know, we get the projects that nobody wants to deal with that are quick turn, that are challenging, that are difficult, that are inconvenient. Um, we've had a lot of those. I, I, you know, anyone specific, I could probably... There's, there's probably been, you know, the one most recent would be Reach, which is at Chicago Hairs um, Intermodal uh, Station. So that was a 60-foot um, art sculpture that was being uh, mounted, uh, wall-mounted over an escalator. And another scenic shop had the contract. Um, the engineering on it, I guess, was not great. Um, and in the midst of the project, that company had closed up. Um, they had folded. And we had an abbreviated timeline to get it done. Um but the significance of the piece and and how we approached it, um, I think again that it was extremely rewarding, right? So the 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 art that you know where it is, where it sits, um, the unique engineering that had to be completed on it, even everything from how are we going to transport it? Um, you know, thirty three foot long arm hand, um, and where we were going to mount it, and the subframe assembly, and how and all that. I to me those that was probably one of the most challenging sort of unique experiences uh that that was that that happened recently so well paul it seems like everything that you try you're able to solve the problem right that's that's your your thing has there ever been something where it just didn't work or you you couldn't solve it or maybe you just had to completely pivot and do and go a different direction yeah great question uh i i would say i have been fortunate enough so far that the problems that I have opted to take on as a challenge, I have found a solution for. Even during COVID, um, in developing a uh, UV emitting sanitation system for um, uh, keypad terminals, um, I developed a UV emitting device for dental equipment. You know, any of those issues, um, if I've taken it, if I've taken it on, I've come up with a solution. Um, maybe I'm just being cautious in the problems that I take on. You know, but I'm sure at some point I'm going to run into something that I, I can't, can't figure out, but not yet. Not yet. Good. 
So when looking at your list of patents, I noticed it went paintball, 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 UV light, sanitation. Oh, filed in 2020. Can you actually <laughs> talk about maybe, I, I mean, I, I know it, to me, it was like, oh, that makes perfect sense, but would love to actually know really the the story, maybe the, the light bulb that went off that said, okay, this, you know, this is the next patent. This is the next problem to solve right here. Yeah, immediately, you know, we had with COVID as probably everybody knows in our industry, I mean, 98% of our business fell off. And I, you know, we went from a staff of 65 to a handful. And I thought, oh man, you know, what's next? And immediately fell back to saying, well, I'm an inventor. I, I'll i invent something. That's what I did 20 years ago in paintball. That's what I'll do now because I don't know when entertainment's coming back. And so I actually was, I went to the grocery store and I'm wearing a mask which seemed absurd to me at the time. And I'm think I'm standing behind a gentleman who has soiled hands and he's checking out in front of me and he's getting food. And I'm thinking, wait, I'm wearing a mask, but I'm gonna go touch that same keypad he just touched. And well, then what? You know, I hand sanitizer maybe works. So, you know, I identified that right away and said, no, no, I I can solve that. That's an easy solve. And I'll figure out uh, a way to, to get that done. And and so right away I pulled my team at all 3DFX together and said, Hey, let's come up with some concepts. This is my idea. This is my thought. And I jumped right into the research and how to, how to solve the problem and solve the issue. So, and in between there, there was some stuff, even um, I had been approached by Boeing's uh, Phantom Works division um, with some of my IP in the past and also developed some aerospace applications. So really for me, the, again, the problem solving process is the same, no matter whether it's paintball, whether it's sanitation, whether it's aerospace, um, the inventing process is the same. So this may sound like an, a weird question, but as someone who is always looking for um, or looking to solve problems, right? That's your that's your uh, niche, if you will. Um, is there ever a time when you're like, well, that's the problem I need to solve, but that's not really within my control or my grasp, or you know, when when you're out with your family, or you know, you're you're at another theme park, you're like, I could solve that, I could solve that, I could solve that. Does that is that kind of how your mind works? I think I have a list longer than my leg. Yeah, there's there's <laughs> there's a list of things that I'm like, oh, I wish I had time to get to that. You know, um, there's so many things, and, and sometimes I will just, you know, I'll just jump into some of those sometimes. Um, but yeah, there I probably have a list now of things I would love to just have the time to to pursue and develop. Um, but as you mentioned early, you know, earlier to your question of yeah, my day to day duties don't necessarily permit me to do that all the time, right? So um, that's something I'll I'll probably have to wait. Um, to get back to, unfortunately. I, I also wonder though, is as you maybe kind of dip your toe in that, say, okay, can I solve this problem? Does it ever uh, kind of uncover maybe a, a bigger problem to say, okay, this is this is what I initially thought, but this is actually kind of the, the keystone problem that really needs to be solved. Yeah, absolutely. I and mean, you get sort of, you know, spinoffs and, you know, it very much is like um, like a tree root for sure that happens. Um, and you can end up in like, you know, peripheral ideas or, you know, related ideas. I mentioned the UV for the hand sanitation, um, for the keypad terminal. Well, that turned into, well, I didn't realize that, you know, the dental industry has such an issue with sanitizing their equipment. So I developed a robot, um, that would emit, uh, UV light energy to, to irradiate their devices and their seats. And then that turned into, um, you know, restrooms and then it turned into another patent that I filed for a mailbox. And so, it, yeah, it, it absolutely sort of spider webs like that. Mm. Yeah. 
So if you were to talk to someone who is aspiring to be in the creative field or said, I want to invent something, what's your, what's your kind of career advice for them? Yeah, I would say, uh, boy, there's, there's a few things I would say right away. Um, you know, being resourceful, self-sufficient, those two things are really important. I think, you know, my resourcefulness probably stems from, you know, maybe not having, you know, the best, um, uh, economic status growing up, you know, I learned at a young age to be very resourceful and, um, you know, to make things work. Um, and I think that trait's really important, but, you know, being able to be self-sufficient, I think in college, I realized, um, being a little bit older, I was sitting there waiting for information to be given to me. And I realized I don't need to do that. I'm more than capable of going and learning on my own and finding whatever answers to whatever information's out there. So, you know, that's what I mean by being self-sufficient. Don't wait to be spoon-fed. Go, go get the information you want. Go find it um, and be driven, you know, be driven to do that. Be, be resilient in how you approach that. You know, work hard every day at saying, hey, you know what? I didn't get my answers today, but tomorrow I will, you know, and, and just keep moving forward uh, in that respect. From the creative side, I would say, remember, just be inspired by everything around you, anything, right? As I said earlier, um, everything that you see around you is someone's idea. It doesn't mean it's a perfect idea either. It's their idea to a solution or to a problem. Um, so use their ideas, use those solutions, right, that are given to you and find new applications for them, you know, even if they're not directly, maybe not directly relevant to what you're trying to solve. Hmm. Paul, I'm kind of curious, and this kind of ties back maybe to you know, to a little bit earlier in the interview, but uh, you know, before you got into the paintball business, which then spun off into film and television and, and themed experiences, were you a a consumer of themed experiences, immersive experiences? Was you know, is, is this kind of who who you've been? You know, at you know at at your core, even before before college, before the Air Force, but you know, before all of that, or was it really just kind of diving into it and, and realizing the opportunity? It, um, I wasn't, um, I think more for me younger was the storytelling, which is really what immersion is, right? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what you're trying to do. Um, you're trying to put someone in a story that you're trying to convey and tell. So for me, it was, I, I had never been to universal. I had never been to Disney. I think I went to Disney when I was in eighth grade, um, for a football trip, but it was very limited. You know, I, I, um, you know, it was a half day. Um, that was it. Um, I had not really had any sort of immersive experiences um, beyond that. But what I did know is, you know, when I was writing stories, I wanted people to see and feel and experience everything I was trying to convey. And that's what themed entertainment is, right? I mean, at the end of the day, now I just get to do it tangibly, you know, for people. Mm -hmm. So is that something you might tag on to your advices to try to write or at least, at least, you know, try to try to work that muscle so that you're always creating, like you said, look at look at inspiration and in everything. Um, and maybe that's just one of those other outlets. Yeah, writing for sure is is absolutely. And I can't tell you how many people I've run into say, oh, yeah, I like to write, but they, you know, everybody is very, you know, they're very different. It, whatever your process is that of creating, you know, mine, again, mine's writing, maybe, um, you know, I would say, yeah, work that muscle every day, right? Um, even just, or just find sources to be inspired by, you know? So a lot of, you know, uh, even if it's, I don't know, some people like to just go through Pinterest, 
you know, look at the language that's out there, look at the the color, geometry, texture, all those things. Those all become in a, um, a reference bank for you and creating. Um, so ex expose yourself to as much of that as possible, for sure. What are some of your favorite stories that, you know, now kind of, you know, as, as a consumer, whether they are, you know, in immersive experiences, whether they are, you know, film and television, what do you see perhaps as, as being some of your biggest inspiration? I would say, well, I love, um, I love Ready Player One. I love that. I love the idea of, you know, that really sort of epitomizes that, you know, drop in that, that sort of transfer into a completely different space and time. Um, I think that really sums up, um, you know, even though maybe that doesn't exist, right. Um, we try to do, we, we're trying to provide that to people really, um, you know, with themed entertainment and in, uh, in the best way that we can. Um, but that for sure is, is probably one of my favorite, um, you know, sort of most inspirational, uh, um, that conveys that idea of, of storytelling in a completely different world. Mm. So, Paul, if you weren't in the in the world of storytelling and um, immersive experiences and creating these props for movies and and TV, what do you think you'd be doing? Well, I, I probably would be inventing. Honestly, that's probably what I'd be doing every day. It's just saying, you know what? Let me go find the next problem to solve. Let me, uh, you know, I love the the I love the freedom that that brings. You know, I'm not bound to anything. I, I'm. Um, that sort of, you know, ability to just identify a problem and set it as your goal and just chase it and just go after it and pursue it, that sort of freedom to look at the world differently than everybody else and, um, you know, work towards that every day is, is probably be my passion. That's probably what I'd be doing. So. Okay. Nice. Paul, this has been so fascinating and, and educational and inspiring. I, I think I'm, this might be even maybe changing the way I think and look at the world and, and looking at, you know, problems that, you know, that can be solved. So we're, you know, we're so thankful for, uh, you know, for your time today. And as we start to wind this down, if people want to learn more about L3DFX, if they want to get a hold of you directly, where would you send them? Uh, they can check out our website. They can go to L3DFX.com. Um, but more than welcome to, uh, to receive emails if I can help anyone uh, as well. It's uh, my email is paul at l3dfx.com. Awesome. Well, we will make sure that all of that is clickable in the show notes. And uh, like Josh said, this has been an amazing conversation. I think I've learned more about paintball than uh, I ever thought I wanted to learn. So I appreciate that. And uh, so Paul, thank you again for your time. And for everybody out there who's watching and listening, just remember, we are all attraction pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.